1 Peter chapter 1, 1-12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that will come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering, the things which now have been reported to you, though those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look unto. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter. We're going to continue on uh, from verse 12. Today we're going to be considering verses 13 through 21. We're, we're actually continuing our seemingly annual uh, study of 1 Peter. Um, thankfully, in this case, unlike the previous two, it's not because the Westbrooks are in the hospital, but because they're on vacation for needed rest. Um, so we're going to contemplate uh, what we uh, began last August and then the previous August. Um, and again, I, as I said, keep your Bibles open. Um, we're actually going to be flipping to certain other passages, and there's going to be no technological assistance. So uh, you're going to need the proton-containing uh, source of God's Word. Let us hear God's Word expectantly. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who with our partiality judges according to each man one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let me pray for us. Our Father, give us ears to hear your word and eyes to see Christ, that we may be more and more transformed into the image of your dear Son, our Savior, through the power of your Spirit. Amen. 
Notice first that our text begins in verse 13 with therefore. This means we need to carefully consider what Peter has presented in the first 12 verses that we heard Aaron read, um, that, that the therefore is building from. Um, since this is an annual series, I, I'm not going to quiz anyone on the content of the previous ones. Uh, we'll give you a, a waiver on that one. Normally, we, we'd have a little quiz to start with. Instead, um, let me remind you, um, returning to verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Remember the, the beautiful picture of the gospel we have and that we discussed in this. So as we look at this section, um, which focuses on our life before God, we must, must remember the therefore, our obedience, feeble as it is in this world, yet hoping in Christ, is always founded on the grace of God alone, his promises, his actions, his gift. The command to obey always begins with therefore, since true obedience always begins and continues in and by faith, as we will see emphasized again later in this passage. So Peter tells us in verse 13 that we are to gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. As you know, at this time, uh, people wore long, uh, loose clothing, either at the beginning of a long journey or at the beginning of a battle. They needed to gird themselves, to wrap themselves with a belt, so that they were prepared for action. Peter says that a similar type of spiritual preparedness and posture is needed to run the Christian life until our warfare is accomplished. To weather the storms of life, the trials, we must not be lazy, passive, ignorant, drunk, or asleep. We instead must be alert, poised, disciplined, and decisive in action. We are to act in this way with our minds girded and sober as obedient children, as verse 14 tells us. Let us take that posture even now, girding up our minds to focus on God our Father's holy word to us through the power of his Spirit. We see in this passage that Peter would have us focus our minds and hearts on three things. First, we are told in verse 13 to rest or fix our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The foundation of our faith, the foundation of our preservation is always Christ. Notice that we fix our hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you. Not merit, not works, not what we deserve, for we would certainly all be lost, but grace, the unmerited favor of our God. Notice also that we look to the revelation of Jesus Christ. This revelation is actually in two senses. There is a sense in which the revelation of Christ is to us in his word. And we're actually going to discuss that again, so keep this in mind next time, whenever that may be, in God's providence, uh, when we look at verse 25. So there is a, a present reality to, to this, but there is also a future reality to this. Uh, look back briefly at verse 5. Remember that Peter says that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this future hope should greatly encourage us in our lives, spurring us on to love and good deeds. We should fix our hope on Jesus Christ, this hope that is not seen yet, 
Because the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to Christ. Let's all turn to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 23, where we have Paul beautifully show us uh, this, the same truth that Peter is showing us. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 23. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We see this beautiful truth, God sovereignly saving us and empowering us by his Spirit for the purpose of being conformed to the image of his Holy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the same future orientations uh, that we see in verse 13, as in Romans, as we eagerly await future tense. So that's the first focus. Second, we are to look back negatively. In verse 14, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance. We're going to be flipping to Romans a couple times, so turn with me back to Romans chapter 5, uh, in verse 12. Notice in Romans 5, 12, in Adam all mankind fell. Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. But in Christ we are a new creation, by the gracious gift of God. Romans 5.15, uh, just a few verses further. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 14 invites us to focus our attention back because our sinfulness creates sinful patterns and habits that can unfortunately become comfortable. Peter exhorts us, do not conform to your former sins, your former lusts. They are not old, familiar friends. They are enemies of your soul and bring destruction. Further, they are not your identity, to use the language unfortunately used nowadays. You are a new creation in Christ. This is incredibly relevant to our times. Many of you are aware of the impact of the so-called gay Christian group Revoice and the impact it's having even on conservative churches. They tell people, in essence, that they can keep their sinful identity while being a new creation. This is neither true nor loving. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. God clearly rebukes this in his word, but rebukes it with hope. Listen to God's word. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, 
nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thankfully, our brothers in the PCA have recently taken a significant first step against this, and we should pray that they continue the good course in this way. While we all here likely see the danger and error of the movement like Revoice, notice that Paul mentions many other things that a Christians once were that are likely relevant to us. Let me go back to Peter's point in verse 14, looking backward, turning from the previous lusts, and apply that to us. Ask yourself this, what specific sin am I comfortable with? What specific sin have I ceased to fight? What specific sin do I excuse? Worse, what former lust am I even cultivating in my life? Peter tells us it will bear a bitter harvest. It will wreak havoc. Look briefly forward, 1 Peter 2, 11. We'll get to this hopefully in a couple years. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Uh, flip forward to 1 John chapter 2, um, a few books forward. John likewise warns us, telling us in 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The exhortation to each one of us is to flee from sin, instead girding up our minds and being conformed to Christ. Notice third that our focus is upward. As we flee from the past, we are positively to look upwards to the holiness, the character, and the actions of our thrice holy God as we sang to begin the service. Verse 15 but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. What God calls us to, what he commands us, is not arbitrary, but instead is a call to be conformed to the unchanging holiness of God. Notice that this is a quote directly from Leviticus. He changes not. To the unchanging character and righteousness of Christ being transformed. This calling to us is a good calling. What he commands us is good. It is the best thing for us so that we can more and more be the beautiful creation that he desires. At the same time, this call should be truly humbling to us. We have, at best, only of the faintest glimmer of the true holiness of God. We have, at best, only a small understanding of the depths and offensiveness of our sinfulness. Our ability to deceive ourselves is tremendous. So often we conform our mind and even scripture to this world rather than being transformed by Christ in his word. The command to be holy, to be transformed to the image of Christ takes constant effort and struggle in faith. All of us need this repeated call, everyone here. At the same time, Know that while we are to strive with the Spirit's indwelling power towards the goal of Christ-like holiness, life in this world will be a struggle between old and new man. 
For we are repeatedly told that this is a war, the world, the flesh, and the devil as our great enemies. But fear not, Christ is greater. The life of faith in this world always involves a true hope for a longing to be free from the burden of sin. Um, as we discussed in Sunday School, I think Bunyan does such a beautiful job um, talking about the struggle and the journey towards the heavenly city. In light of God's holiness and his call for us to be holy, notice next the warning in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, as we call on God as Father, we being called obedient children in verse 14, we are reminded that our God and Father is a righteous judge. Again, his commands are not arbitrary. There is truly good and evil, and he does not judge with partiality. Further, he does not judge by surface appearance, but with perfect omniscient judgment. This is a great blessing, but is also a great source of godly fear. Notice that he judges according to each one's work or deeds. This can be startling when we first read it, since we know from Scripture that we are sovereignly saved by God, by grace alone, not by works. Fortunately, Scripture helps us interpret and understand Scripture. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We see here the fundamental truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works. And at the same time, we see that we are a new creation in truth, and we are to live sanctified, godly, and righteous lives. Notice that the transition in Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, serves as the same transition that we saw in Peter at the beginning of verse 13, therefore. We are, as James might say, to show that our faith is true and that it is a living faith. For as Augustine says, then God will set the crown, not so much on your merits as on his gifts. Whatever he has given you, if you have kept and preserved it, he will recognize. Everything we have is a gift of grace. We understand this, we will humbly echo the words of Luke 17.10. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Our works are the evidence of the grace of God in us, that his promises are true, that he who began a good work in us has been faithful to accomplish it in us through his spirit. Put another way, listen to John 15, uh, starting in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. In verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Our salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone. 
We have been grafted in him. We are even now fed and enlivened by the Spirit. And we are truly to bear good fruit in Christ out of gratitude for our great salvation and as evidence of the work of the Spirit in our lives. God, the righteous judge, tells us that he will truly accept this harvest of good fruit in Christ. Any fruit we try to bear in our own strength or to earn something from God will be rotten and useless. Our catechism actually beautifully expresses this truth um, in Lord's Day 32 and 33. So if it's not too much of a distraction to you, we're actually going to take, we're going to do our catechism in the middle of the sermon. Um, so if you can all stand, um, we'll responsibly recite our catechism questions now. If this is your faith, please join together. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Because Christ having redeemed us by his blood is also restoring us by the Spirit into his image, so that after our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, so that he may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by his fruit, and so that by our hallelujah our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no godless person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Importantly, 
that we are to conduct ourselves with reverent fear over and over again in the New Testament and in church history and in our time. We see the impact of antinomianism, those who are against the law, those who say that grace is cheap, a get-out-of-jail card that lets us behave in any way we want. As Paul says in Romans 6, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Those who sin freely, who ignore or excuse their sin, have no fear of God. When we excuse our sin, each of us needs to be reminded of the importance of reverence of God, we are to live a life of repentance, being conformed to Christ. There are many stories of those losing their fear of God, falling into sin, and becoming hardened. I'm sure each of us has experienced examples of this. For my own life, the pastor who married Beth and me, who we love, fell into grievous sin, ceasing to fear God, and wrecked his life and the life of his family. Men, a special call to us. God has ordained us to lead our homes and show forth Christ to our wives and children. Do this in reverent fear of God. But then Paul reminds us, or excuse me, Peter reminds us of the beauty of the gospel. Peter has rightly pointed us to holiness and reverent fear. But lest we be unsettled or focus our attention on ourselves or doubt, immediately takes us to the cross, that we can have a sure and settled confidence in Christ himself. So in verse 18 through 21, Peter shows us the foundation, reason, and purpose for these things, giving us a beautiful summary of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, also translated futile ways, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice first, the gospel shows us that we are redeemed from sin. The extent of the cost of redemption tells us the extent of the debt to be paid. The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus that tells us that our sin is an infinite transgression against the holy God. This is terrible news. This is bad news. But the cross is the best of news. Our redemption, the ransom paid to the Father, our forgiveness has been accomplished by our Savior Jesus Christ at great cost. Think what this says about God's love you and to me. What difference does knowing this, as Peter says, make in your life? The death and resurrection of Christ also allow us to see the purposes of God through history. As he continually pointed to Christ, we see this in his command for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. In this he shows the severity of sin. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness, and the need for the ram as a gracious substitute. We see the purposes of God in the Passover lamb during the Exodus, whose blood was the key to salvation, Exodus 12, 13. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. We see the spotless lamb of the Passover in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him 
who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Notice the contrast to those things we are so prone to value. Material wealth, silver and gold, our own actions done in pride, our traditions. They are worthless and will fade away. In fact, they are so often a snare and an impediment to godliness. Peter knew this. It's interesting. In a totally different context, we're told uh, that Peter said something to someone in need. Acts 3, verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth rise up and walk. Sadly, we do not trust in the things we should. We do not hope in the things we should. Let us return, let us turn our focus, our whole focus, to Christ, our Redeemer. What do you think you have been saved from? What was the price required for your sin? What we think of this question will determine to what extent our lives before God will be lives of holy gratitude. Jesus teaches us this in Luke chapter 7. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. A life of true godliness can only respond in faith to the finished work of Christ. Our response of gratitude for what he has done, his blood shed for me. What is the value of the blood of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, fully God and fully man? Can you measure it? Peter continues in verse 20, showing both the Redeemer and the redeemed. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Notice that Jesus Christ was foreordained as our Redeemer before the foundation of the world, the sovereign work of God, and was made manifest in the world at the time and place so ordained. We have here the full sweep of redemptive history from eternity past to the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ during these last times. Notice our place in this history. Jesus was made manifest, Peter says, for you. What an amazing statement. Notice also that Christ as mediator is central. Since verse 21 says that we are to believe in God through Christ. We see this theme amplified beautifully in the book of Hebrews, which we'll return to at the end today. Because of this, the good news is rightly called the gospel of Christ. Because the good news is inseparable from the person and work of Christ. Salvation is through Christ alone. There is no other hope of salvation. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 21, the redeemed are described as those who live by faith and hope. Also look back at, at uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Since this book is actually addressed to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification by the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The beautiful truth of the gospel is here for us, that our redemption is the sovereign act of our triune God. 
to him be praise and glory and honor. To this great salvation, let us respond with the heart of belief, of faith, and hope in God, saying to our God and Father, the righteous judge, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. The call to holiness is a call to be conformed to Christ, bringing glory to our holy and glorious God. It is also a call to love our neighbor as ourselves, our families, our church, and even to the end of the world. We'll actually begin the next time, uh, whenever that may be in God's providence, in verse 22, discussing obedience to the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the brethren. This is not a light calling and has eternal consequences. If you have not trusted in God, turn to Christ, where there is mercy and abundant pardon. Know his great promise from Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you have grown dull, if you are ignoring or excusing your sin, fear the Lord. Pray to God for the eyes of faith to hate your sin and for the strength of his Spirit in the battle. Do not try to run in your own strength. The true life of faith is only founded on Christ and his precious blood alone. If you are struggling, weary in the battle, or feel isolated, alienated, or attacked because of godly choices, be encouraged. Live by faith in the hope, the future hope of Jesus Christ. Let me finish with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Let me pray. Our Father, we pray that we would be hearers of your word, that through your Spirit we would be transformed by your word, that we would cling to Christ, that we would be a holy and godly people that bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.